welcome to Remainders. My name is Patrick. Welcome to Remainders. My name is Darren. Looking good, bud. How's it going? I always am excited every week uh, to see a new piece uh, on your fine background. Thank you very much. Yeah, you, as you know, I've been kind of uh, creating a lot of art lately. So there's a lot of it. Um, this is the piece that I just showcased today. Liz Taylor eating a cheeseburger. So if you're listening to Fantastic. this and you can't see it, it's basically what I just said, Liz Taylor eating a cheeseburger. Um, but also behind me is the Lone Ranger. And uh, that's why I, I don't think that one got like a lot of um, excitement around it, but I, that's one of my favorites. I don't know. I really like, um, there was this Orville Peck um, video that uh, inspired it, to be honest with you. And he was talking a oh, lot yeah. about, did you, have you seen that uh, when he no, was talking about the Lone Ranger? No, I missed that one. No, it was really great. He was just talking about how um, that's why he, he wears a mask sort of like, and uh, I won't spoil it for you. You should watch it. It's on YouTube. But um, it was really cool. And I was like, damn, I got to do a Lone Ranger portrait. So I kind of did it in my style. And I like the idea of making him blue. I always like that, like a, a character that has like a lot of life to it or a pop culture character okay. and then kind of put a little spin on it, you know? I'm a huge defender of the uh, the uh, um, recent uh, Lone Ranger movie uh, with uh, uh, Johnny Depp and uh, uh, Army Hammer. I know you're looking for me to say uh, that I liked it. <laughs> no, I'm just I, I'm, I haven't seen there's it. There's always so. no, no, no. Yeah, I just been on record a couple of times. I think that one is as good as like the original uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's the same director, um, Gore Verbinski, and, right? Yeah. I, and Gore Verbinski, by the way, he's got a uh, filmography that is just uh, all over the place, but I love it. Um, but his big budget movies um, are kind of like the, um, the perfect, they catch the perfect tone for me in terms of like action and, and just over the top uh, storytelling. But yeah, like that was, that was the one that I was a huge fan of. So, but I mean, I've never really seen like the original show or anything. So like most of my only understanding of the Lone Ranger is from that movie. So yeah, you know, um, it doesn't surprise me that a movie that flopped at the box office is one of your favorites. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that never ceases to uh, surprise me with you and uh, your picks. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, just uh, running through like all my favorite flops of all time. Um, you know, I think it's pretty equal, you know, so. I know, um, it's almost like we yeah, should do a, a remainder season on like, flops that are awesome you know that's actually a cool idea uh yeah certainly movies that uh did not do well but then actually have uh, a lot of uh, merit to them i could definitely come up with many of that so yeah uh, but yeah but no like uh, back to your art that this new uh, rollout has been fantastic uh, i love the the pieces um critiquing social media by the way I know those are some of my favorite. Again, uh, I just don't think that those were like um, as loved as much on social media, which is kind of the funny <laughs> twist, you know? Um, right, 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 right. But uh, it's, I think those are some of my best. I think they're some of the most thought provoking that I've done. Um, but again, as, as my girlfriend and I talk about all the time, judging your work by how well they're received on social media is probably the biggest mistake you can do. So um, I stick by it and I think they're good. And thank you for saying that. Um, I, I think they're cool. Yeah, no. Uh, and you definitely, I 100% agree with you on that in terms of uh, gauging the success on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely goes back to my daily uh, mantra of efforts, not results, uh, focusing on what you can control and what you can't control. And, 
and success on social media, not only can you not control it, it is also certainly not a gauge of quality at all. So, right, which I think is such a bummer because some people, um, and myself included, um, in the past, you know, you get you get so down, like, why did this not, you know, have this many likes or whatever yeah. it might be on whatever platform, and it does it does mess with the human. Um, condition that way well and that's a that's a terrible thing um because you can start to doubt yourself um and if you're creating something it's a you know you put it out in the world then you're on to the next thing and don't 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 stew on something you know not everything you do is going to be uh the best ever you know painting or song but um it doesn't matter as long as you're creating i think that's your point I don't know. Your output gives that uh, statement a run for its money in terms of uh, uh, consistent quality. So uh, you're always too kind to me, Pat. You, <laughs> you know, and that's why I do this podcast because I just want my head to explode every every day when I talk to you. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Um, yeah, we need to talk music a little uh, a little a little quickly. Um, I was pretty excited. We were texting back and forth that Marky Ramon just got added to Riot Fest, uh, which I had mentioned I was already going to plan on going this year, and then he was a late addition. Um, so I was very excited to uh, hear about that. His uh, Blitzkrieg touring, where it's uh, basically him on drumming and uh, a guest singer uh, performing a, a full Ramon set. And um, yeah, you were mentioning that uh, show, was that 2013 uh, at the Double Door? 2013 or 2014, one? but actually 2013 yeah, actually time. sounds about about right. Did you go to that too? Uh, well, yeah, we ran into each other. Uh, Did we? I actually, don't remember that. Uh, by coincidence, uh, we were just separately going to the show because obviously Mark Ramon and Andrew WK is not something you can uh, miss. But yeah, I was <laughs> yeah, there totally. with my group. I was there with my, a couple of my friends. You were there. Uh, we ran into each other at the uh, at the now defunct Flatiron across the street. Uh, That's before the right. Show. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember that now. Holy <laughs> crap! So when I was telling you that, uh, you're probably like, "Yeah, dummy, I saw you there." It's like, yeah, no shit, man. Uh, I totally, <laughs> totally, yeah, totally slipped my mind. Um, Wow, and and th that was the it's show. Just to means see. It just great minds think alike. Excellent. So that's why we were showing up at each other at the same time. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that was that's a show that stuck with me for a long time because I certainly never saw the Ramones uh, before uh, Joey passed away. I believe you did, yeah. Uh, three times, I was pretty three lucky. times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you got me definitely beat there. Yeah, I was never able to see him um, before that. So uh, seeing Marky Ramone perform with Andrew WK, who I thought, I mean, that was in my heavy Andrew WK kind of like phase like he was touring a lot and i would like go to see him quite a bit so that was like a big part of why i wanted to see that show as well and his um performance on stage i mean his energy with his own band is always incredible but he definitely brought the energy uh to the ramon song as well i mean it, it was always... like it was like uh not i won't say it was like seeing the ramones but it was like the closest thing to it he was great that was an yeah. awesome show i mean yeah like i said the energy like he was bringing to it, it was fantastic so that was that's a show that's always stuck with me especially when they performed um i don't want to grow up i think i've mentioned this before uh but that was like a perfect trifecta it's a tom Waits song covered by the ramones and then sung by that night by andrew wk it was like this perfect trifecta of three artists that i love so yeah totally and i i know you're just a really big tom Waits fan um the, what stuck out to me that night, I think his wife was in the band, um, and I remember him calling her out and like bringing her out on, uh, mm. on, on the front of the stage. And I think she might have been on keys that night or something. Um, 
that was cool. I also remember from that night, uh, I went with um, the guy that I first saw the Ramones with um, and is the guy that I named that first Scissors record after, River at Rob. River at so Rob. he was there and he was the one who went with me. And nice. uh, it was a nice kind of cap on it. Like we couldn't go see the Ramones together anymore. So like, you know, we're get to see Mark and Ramone play. So I'm, I'm pretty jealous. I, I did see that um, he was playing, in fact, Lindsay, who we know, um, she um, messaged me the day before that it was that he was playing, and I said uh, she calls him the worst Ramon. She's like, ah, oh, the worst Ramon is playing at Riot Fest, <laughs> you know, because it's like whatever, like the drummer, I guess. But at the same time, like that's all I said to her. That's all we got left, man. You know, like uh, whatever. And, and, and also like when you see him with a, someone like Andrew WK or something, it's like a, it's like a new spin on it, like an old classic. So right. it's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I was hyped for it back when I saw it back then. Uh, but like, obviously in the hindsight of how much, uh, how great of a show that was, I'm definitely excited for them to be there this, uh, this year. I think they're playing uh, Friday. So I'm definitely going to be uh, devoting uh, at least uh, most of my time on Friday and Saturday. So yeah. Are you doing the three day uh I mean, I always end up having a three-day pass, but I certainly don't usually make my way all three days. I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe I'm just getting too old to stand on my feet at a concert for 12 hours a day, three days in a row. But, well, uh, Riot Fest is like the weird one because it's like, you know, first day it's hot as hell. Second day it rains. And the third day the bees come out and sting you while you're, you know, <laughs> trekking through like sloshy mud. And it's like real, real like... Um, uh, what do they call it? The humidity is like insane. So like, it's weird because it's a weird time of year and you never know with the weather. So like at the end of that, you need like to sleep for at least a week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always cool with like catching like the, my favorite acts from all three days and, and just kind of uh, making it out to making it more of a casual. I mean, like I'm never like upfront for any of the shows anyway. I just kind of do a uh, a milling around of the show because it's always it's a pretty good vibe there i mean it's definitely not like uh an overly aggressive vibe or uh too young of a crowd it's pretty diverse in terms of age i mean you have a lot of like families there you bring uh, like older punks bringing their their kids uh, to the yeah. show so it's uh it's usually a pretty chill vibe um, totally. so yeah so yeah that just uh, definitely uh, added a little excitement to the show coming up so yeah, I'm glad we talked about that. It's kind of uh, one of those things I missed uh, now that I'm out in LA is that, uh, you know, when Ride Fest comes around, you know, I get that that itch like, hmm, I wish I was home, you know, back home in Chicago for that. But uh, there's obviously plenty to do out here. So uh, I always have something to replace it with, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You've got any shows um, uh, coming up or any well, recently you went to? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm going. I think I told you before. I was going to see Murder by Death. That's my big one that yep. I can't wait for. They're oh, they have a new record coming up to today. Today, nice. today, Friday. It is. Yep. Damn. Yeah, that's it's out today. So that's what I'll be doing tonight is uh, listening to their new record and uh, can't wait for that. But then um, I'm going to see um, the birds at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, um, which I'm really looking forward to next weekend. So that's like kind of original, my... like the original birds. Yep. There. So I think I told you, I just uh, went to go see Ferris Bueller's day off there. They yeah. do it every day, every weekend in the summer, they have a great movie playing and people gather, um, you know, right next to Johnny Ramone and Dee Dee Ramone, you know, cause uh, Johnny's not buried there, but is like his grave markers there and Dee Dee is buried there. So it's kind of interesting. You got like two Ramones in there and then you've got all these like, 
celebrities, but you're under the stars enjoying a great night. Um, and it's, there's no feeling like it. I, I, I really hope you come visit me sometime soon so I can take you to one of these. You'd, you'd love it, Pat. You'd oh, love it so oh, much. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going to see the birds. And um, uh, it's funny with my girlfriend, you know, we went and saw Psycho uh, a year or two ago. And she was, you know, we're like, okay, of course we're going to see Psycho. Like if they're playing that movie under, you know, in a cemetery or whatever, like we got to go see that. And halfway through the movie, she's kind of like scared and stuff. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? She's like, I've never seen this movie before. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You've never seen Psycho nice. before? Yeah. That's awesome. So it's not that way with the birds. She's seen it before, but like a long time ago. So I'm really excited to kind of like experience it with her that way. Okay, I'm not going to lie. This entire time when um, I asked you about any shows coming up and you said the birds, I'm thinking like the original 60s <laughs> rock group birds. I'm like, with remaining, that's honestly who I was thinking of this entire time. I didn't realize you were talking about a, a movie. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, Hitch, Alfred Hitchcock's right. The Birds. I guess I should have clarified. I'm a no, little uh, scattered just, with, with the way the week has been. So I might have not. I would clear. be completely. Uh, uh, ignorant about what uh, surviving members of the, of the birds would be playing. So um, that's why I was just kind of going along with it. Um, okay, fantastic. I'm actually reading um, a book on Hitchcock right now, The 12 Lives of Hitchcock, of Alfred Hitchcock, and it's uh, divvied up in terms of like chapters of kind of his personality, his life, his art. Uh, it's really good so far. I'm about halfway through. I'm gonna have to send you the link because uh, uh, I think you definitely dig it. Oh man, for sure. Um... I, anything like kind of new that like I don't know about Hitchcock I love like hearing about when I um I actually did a remainders episode um in transition to getting to the new season with you um yeah. about it was like a mini episode that I did on um um Carrie dear, dear dear Carrie yeah uh yeah. Diane Cannon's uh memoir about uh, Carrie Grant and there's a, a great story in that book about Hitchcock and kind of being like the master of ceremonies for like a Thanksgiving meal with all these great actors and actresses. And so Diane Cannon talks about like walking into the house and like his morbid sense of humor and stuff like that. And it's cool because that whole book, you sort of um, get like a insider's look at what it was like to like kind of be in that circle with all these people that you just, they're just legendary, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's great. So I'm interested in that book. That'd be cool. Maybe we yeah, can no. uh, send that also out on our socials so people can see it, you know? Yeah, I do remember that episode and I, I put in that book on my queue uh, and obviously my book queue is a little bit, uh, is is growing faster. It, yeah. it grows faster <laughs> than it uh, goes down. So it's, it's definitely on there. So it's on my to-do. I get into my kicks of like, um, you know, obviously we, we spend a, a, a decent amount of time watching movies, but then I get on my kicks in terms of like uh, researching them and, learning about the past and well there's you know i talked about it a lot um i'm a huge Mad Men fan and i you know not like the last three episodes i haven't said it to you enough but um <laughs> so there's like kind of like a character a pretty big character who, who does lsd in that show and i really think that they ripped that straight from the cary grant headlines that um you know back in like the 60s when cary grant was experimenting with lsd it wasn't wasn't like he was like going on record about it fully, but like everybody knew about it and it was talked about. And he was like kind of a proponent of LSD, which also comes out in that book. So it's cool. It's like that time period, you know, it's like such an interesting time. Um, and hearing like uh, this great big, huge star saying, yeah, I'm into LSD, you know, it's weird. No, it's, it's, 
I mean, uh, the psychotropic drugs have always been around. It's just uh, our kind of prudish uh, Western vibe on drugs have been uh, a little uh, hindering of it. Um, I just posted a, a, a link or uh, showing Michael Pollan's new documentary, How to Change Your Mind on Netflix, which is entirely about um, mind-expanding drugs and their kind of role in consciousness. Uh, it was based off of his book, How to Change Your Mind, which goes into Cary Grant's uh, experience quite a bit, so. Oh, cool. Oh, oh, wow, okay, cool. I'll have yeah. to watch it. I've seen that on there. Um, I yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't know how, I've only seen, I haven't completely finished the uh, documentary, but I read the book uh, twice actually, and um, it's a largely historical document about uh, psilocybin and LSD and whatnot, and all the drugs that you can use to kind of like show the other side of the mind and what the mind is capable of, uh, similar to like what, you know, extended meditation can do. And, and um, yeah, it, 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 the, the stuff about Cary Grant was, uh, I had no idea at the time. So that was pretty yeah, cool. It's cool. It's like a, definitely a lot to learn out there in the world. Unfortunately, we can't live to be uh, 500 million years old because I just feel like there's not enough time to shove it all in. But um, uh, I, I, I do love putting as much in as I can. And that ever expanding book list of yours, speaking of, I like following you on social media because that's pretty much all you post about is the books that you're reading. And that's like what I love because I'm like, oh, I got to pick up that book. I, I'm always looking for book recommendations myself. And you've always been spot on. Everyone that I've ever read that you've told me about, I've loved and it's bettered my life uh, in some way. So if anybody's out there listening, you should follow Pat at Conscious Book Rex, right? It's Conscious Book Rex. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in, in, in hearing about and you know what Pat's reading. Yeah, I mean, and going back to the social media, if you want to get ignored on social media, talk about books, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> even though people are interested, it doesn't, not necessarily the uh, most uh, uh, shared uh, idea and notion on, on social media. So, yeah, but uh, I don't know about social media in general. I'm all about the stuff that I follow that actually betters um, what I want to do as a human being and uh, also my artistic side. So I like that. And I don't care if anybody else does. Well, yeah, I mean, we were kind of discussing our perfect lifestyle before. And, and certainly um, I have a very um, kind of laid back uh, bohemian lifestyle where my ideal setup is like just reading at a coffee shop for six hours of the day. Um, that's just kind of my default of what I prefer to do um, with my time. So I can tell you um, something cool that happened to me uh, yesterday. I... Um, when I, when I lived in Chicago, I had one of those balconies that were like really high up and I would just overlook the city and I loved it. And I would sit out there, read a book, just like, you know, um, you're talking, like I spent a lot of time out there having coffee and reading. I, I paint out there too, even though it was small. I really miss that here in LA. Um, but the place I'm at, I love, I, I love the people and I love my landlords and everything. And this is a great community and it's better in some ways because I get to actually talk to the people instead of the way it is in Chicago. I just never really see anybody and everybody keeps to themselves, which is fine. But I kind of wanted to be around more of a community vibe. And so the reason I'm telling this story is the other day, my landlords put in a patio for me, like a real small one where there used to be like a bush and stuff like that. But nice. they were like, we know you are at home all the time and, and working from home and all this kind of stuff. We just thought you'd enjoy uh, a little bit of a place to go out and take a breather. And like, 
how about that for the kindness uh, of, <laughs> of the week? You know, that, that it, oh, yeah. it's done so much for me, you know, just going outside. And I know, you know, I'm sure everybody knows just taking a break and stepping outside after you've been inundated with a computer screen or your phone does wonders for your um, uh, mental health. That's awesome. Is it uh, like, I've never seen your place in a way, in a way. so is it, is it on the first floor? Is it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. First, first floor. floor. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I don't think, you know, the, the, the second floor has like one of those like long, you know, standing concrete slabs that goes by people sit out there too, you know, to, okay. uh, yeah. you know, watch the sunset or whatever. But for me down here, it's just like a bunch of bushes. So now I got my own little spot. It's all like real nice. And I've been out there a few times today already. And I almost it was almost hard to come in here to do this with you today. Cause I was like, <laughs> damn, I'm loving it out here. Well, I'm happy you did. We're already getting to talk to, about the music and the uh, best parts of our lives. I love it. I agree. Speaking I agree. of music, I'm going back just really quick. Uh, yeah, we mentioned um, when we were talking, I saw the Hallelujah documentary. So I've been listening to plenty of Leonard Cohen this week. Mm. Um, I guess between that doc and then uh, the Marky Ramon um, announcement, it's been going back between Leonard Cohen and Ramones. Yeah, what did um, you, what did you, uh, just like a uh, hot take, uh, let's say, what did you take from that? um film what's one great thing you took from the film well i mean generally i mean I'm, i i don't know how popular leonard cohen is uh because i don't know i just have a hard time gauging like an older artist and how much they kind of transition to newer we kind of talked about this with like elvis it's like I, I don't know how popular elvis is with like a younger generation um and it's kind of the same with uh, leonard cohen but uh, that documentary was part like a uh, um, story about his life, but then uh, equal parts about the song specifically Hallelujah and how like how much that song has transcended even his own career in terms of like just how ubiquitous ubiquitous it is, like everybody covering it. Obviously, um, Jeff Buckley's version kind of brought it in the early 90s, brought it to like a whole nother level. Um, and so it was like I mean, I would highly recommend you check it out. Being a, a full-time songwriter, it's like that was like the main focal point throughout the entire movie was just the songwriting process uh, leading up to it, the execution, and then how songs kind of become their own things once you put it out in the uh, world. Yeah, I, uh, once you told me about that, I was really excited to see it. So you saw it at the Music Box, yeah? Yeah, yeah. In their little screening room, they, it was uh, it was not on the main theater, but uh, I was like getting the chance to go to their, their second theater, which is just like this nice little uh, 50 seat uh, screening room, uh, which has a little bit more of a, a chill vibe than the large theater. You know, um, it's actually a good way to segue into a Woman Under the Influence, because um, I heard that John Cassavetes really had to work hard to get this film in um, theaters because <clears throat> everybody thought it was yeah, and they're right. It's, it's pretty heavy, you know? Um, so I heard he had to really like uh, go, it played more so in like colleges and things like that from what I've read at least. Um, and that he had to put a lot of his own personal financing. Peter Falk put a lot of his own financing into this film. Um, it's interesting, you know, when you care about your art or something that you go and hit the street like that, you know, like they did a lot of um, question and answers from what I've read to talk about the film and why it was important. And then I also read um, that, you know, we'll get into it in a minute, but, um, you know, it had a good lasting effect, um, which I didn't really need to read that because I love the film myself and it's, you know, been preserved in the 90s um, 
and on one of the top, you know, everybody's top lists of films worth seeing. And that just uh, is another reminder to go with, make what you love and what feels right. And don't worry so much about the reception right now. You know, the art will live forever if it's good. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah, this is, so yeah, Women Under the Influence. Uh, this was your pick, uh, which I'm pretty excited that you chose because I was, I had seen uh, portions of it, uh, but I had never watched it all the way through. Um, and yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, a harrowing movie to watch, but I had an amazing time checking it out. But yeah, speaking of like the way you're saying, like he was able, uh, he was forced to basically finance it himself, like a combination between him and private investors. And um, as you mentioned, Peter Falk put up like a large portion of it. Um, yeah, I was reading, I mean, it did pretty successful. Uh, yeah, nominated for, for Oscars, um, Gina Rollins at least. Oh yeah, it was definitely critically, uh, received well but it made pretty decent money and obviously him like them being the financiers themselves there were no uh, big studio in the middle to take any cut of that so that's pretty cool yeah that's true too i didn't even really think about that you know the uh, reward is also worth it monetarily if you don't have the big studios involved uh, suck all that up to recoup right, right, their right. their losses uh <laughs> but yeah i love this film he's a bad ass um and i think it's because like i like to hear more real life stuff when i watch films sometimes it can be pretty heavy on me i can get kind of depressed um so i have to work through that sometimes um but i i still would rather watch something that's real than i would you know a comedy or fluff those are just my kind of movies um you know things that people are really experiencing and this movie's chock full of that shit um it's almost like too real you know sometimes and um i don't know like it's it's chaos it's a it's, it's domestic chaos i mean yeah i mean it's it's essentially the story of a distressed housewife and uh, a husband who i think and we'll get into it i think he may be near the breaking point as close to her um as the movie unfolds because I mean, like kind of the basic setup is that she's this um, person with a drinking problem. And uh, another thing I want to talk about is whether or not the drinking come for, comes first or the mental illness comes first and how like kind of they interact with each other. Um, but as the story goes on, um, you could almost kind of see uh, the husband character, Nick, played by Peter Falk, um, him being as mentally unstable as her. And I was just, I was just wondering what your thoughts on that. Um, you, I've for, seen this. for sure. Because at first, uh, when you do see the movie, you feel like, Hmm, this is a, definitely a story about her. She's right, the crazy right. quote unquote crazy one. Um, and he's the one trying to keep it together. You're absolutely right. As the movie, um, transpires, especially when she's, um, uh, especially when he's kind of stuck to deal with it you know you start to see like how frustrated he is and that you know he's worked he's overworked he's at his job they're calling him he says it at that one point i'm not superman we tell him that's it she goes he wants you to know he's not superman <laughs> um but like you know they're calling him and that also that phone call at the beginning it's um little moments like that where you know that it's a, a little bit of a problem between the two of them that they do love each other in fact 
they open that way and they end that way. I don't know if you stuck around through the credits, which I always do, where you see him sort of rubbing her shoulders and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, this is, you just went through a long period of seeing a chaotic, troublesome marriage, but there are these moments, these really tender moments where these two people do really love each other. Um, and that I feel like is super real, you know, couples and stuff like that fight and sometimes to like scary, you know, just to a scary fever, let's say. Um, but then they can have these moments that are super passionate and super loving. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you see here on film. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, one thing I noticed was he's, uh, Peter Falk, he's, he's constantly reassuring uh, Mabel that he loves her throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But, and this is not necessarily like, uh, you know, like a critique of the character or anything, but like there is no assurance of like security or stability. Um, uh, that's definitely what I noticed in terms of like his constant reassurance. Like he's always in like the moments where she's like having a, like a panic attack or uh, is like kind of on the brink uh, of, of some sort of attack. He's like constantly reminding how much he loves her, but like on the downtimes, there is like no assurance of security between the two. And I definitely kind of definitely noticed that uh, kind of fragile state between the two of them quite a bit. And let's just uh, say that these kids, you feel for them, um, sweet, innocent, beautiful kids uh, that are caught in the middle of the turmoil. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen this film, Gina Rollins, who is the main character of Mabel, uh, introduced is introduced pretty early on as troubled, as a troubled housewife, Pat put it. And what that means is that, she, you know, she has a problem with uh, drinking, but that just is exacerbating this possible mental uh, issue that she has. And as you see it unfold, you know, she's making really bad mistakes and the kids, who are supposedly kind of the glue between the two of them get in the way and like are become pawns and sort of in this game. Um, and it, 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 they don't favor very well. Um, I, you can see years down the line that they'll, they'll probably have some issues based on the way that their parents are behaving. Yeah, it's definitely that uh, kind of dread of silence as I uh, was kind of thinking about throughout the whole film. Um, there's like a, a fear of silence. And so like, like in the beginning, there's a lot of like yelling, but it's kind of like playful yelling and like not to like marginalize the tone of it at all, but it kind of reminded me of George's parents from Seinfeld, an actual more realistic version of the two of them. Mm, okay, I could see that, yeah. <laughs> like like not a, not a comic- More of like, like a bickering kind of? Yeah, exactly. Like George's parents would be like a very comical over the top version of these two at the beginning of the film. Um, and it just kind of had that vibe that's more so at the beginning, obviously. And then like, as it like moves forward, it gets uh, far more serious in tone when you see some of the uh, um, actual serious, like fear in some of the characters' eyes. Like the one scene that like really stuck with me was like, the character's name was like Harold. Um, I forget like their relation, but like, it was just like a family friend. He was over there to like drop his kids off to play with Mabel and her kids. And he's just, 
it's this whole protracted scene when they're kind of getting ready to like play like with like uh, costume parties and whatnot and he's just slowly realizing that he doesn't trust Mabel to like actually watch his kids anymore because of her mental state and, and just kind of the big things she's saying and, and the way she's carrying herself. He's just slowly realizing, I don't want to leave my kids here with them. That's a hard scene to watch. Um, yeah. You know, it's also a tribute to the way John Cassavetes is running gun approach and um, really like really tight shots uh, at times that are um, claustrophobic and, the house itself is a little claustrophobic. So they're like showing them running up the stairs and then the kids are like naked. There's like one of the kids is running around naked and like uh, Nick comes home, which is her husband paid by Peter Falk. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? And of course he starts to yell at the guy who's there with his kids saying, get out of my house. But he has no clue really like what's happening. Like that Mabel is a little possibly drunk and she's a little off kilter. And that scene is really hard to watch, seeing those kids just running around and being pulled around and, and, and like, like, again, like ping pong balls in the middle of this, like, chaos between the adults. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, we were talking about it before, like, this might be, like, my favorite performance, like, in a movie that we've covered so far. Um, we covered There Will Be Blood, so Dinner Day Lewis is way up there, but uh, Gina Rollins in here, like, every scene she's in, uh, which is pretty much every one of them, almost. Uh, but like uh, every uh, every movement or just kind of like gentle reaction, uh, and sometimes over the top reactions. It's like she's so fucking good in this movie. Um, definitely not surprised that she was nominated and won uh, the Oscar for it at the time. Well, you know, for anyone out there watching, a lot of people would know G Gina Rollins from The Notebook as the old woman in The Notebook that was um, something that I was hoping that like, as time goes on, people wouldn't remember her as only the older woman in the notebook. Of course she is awesome. And she was in that film because that's her son who directed that. And that movie's awesome too, by the way. I do love the notebook. Um, <laughs> I was curious on what your thoughts on that was. I, I love it. And I, I fucking love um, all the uh, hoopla and hype around um, the actor in that uh, Ryan Gosling I think he's awesome I love La La Land and uh Lars is a real girl I just watched rewatched uh, The Nice Guys which I think is fantastic him and uh, Russell Crowe oh uh, yeah have you seen that one no I haven't seen it yeah it's like a 80s throwback um of like a buddy cop movie and like the two of them are like so perfect uh, together like like obviously with all those old 80s uh buddy cop movies like the entire purpose was to have like two actors who kind of have like really good chemistry and everything else can be whatever but as long as the two of them uh are, are like good together on screen it works and it definitely works between russell crowe and ryan gosling and okay. gosling's he's playing i mean they're both playing like over the top version but gosling is definitely playing the doofus between the two and which is kind of unusual it's like it, there hasn't been a whole lot of roles that i've seen him do that and he's he's fantastic as it i also love R russell crowe by the way um yeah and I, th I think he should be in more stuff i haven't seen him in a while but anyway i digress back to uh yeah like so in the night in the notebook um gina rollins you know awesome i love her and this movie it's like out of any it's like anybody who's an actor today should watch this film and find out how to act. I mean, this mm -hmm. is like insane. It's in, 
no, it's on another level. It like it almost makes me like emotional talking about it because she is so damn good. And I don't know what it is about these films. She's done a lot of films with her husband, John Cassavetes, who directed this film. And every movie that she does with him, I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is just shit. Like, she's insane. She's insanely good. Um, and also, just like, gotta remember the that she was in a uh, Jim Jarmusch film too. I'm, I know you love that Night on Earth. Night, Night on Earth. Yeah, that scene is probably my favorite of, uh, I mean, that whole movie's great, but that one, uh, her and, um, we mentioned this. Uh, Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. The two of them together are so good, yeah. Yeah, and so just, uh, you're right. That performance may be one of the best like we've ever talked about, but maybe one of the best performances of all time. Gina Rollins deserves every bit of accolade for that. Um, I read some reviews that people were saying she was over the top, and I just disagree with that 100%. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it, and it's also like a tribute again to the way John Cassavetes like films. Um, I don't know, maybe it does set, look over the top a performance like that if you film it um, in a way that doesn't look as, you know, kind of gritty and kind of real. I saw something uh, that Cassavetes was originally writing this as a play. Yeah. And that like it's so, yeah, okay. So, uh, I mean, I was just learning this. Um, you're the Cassavetes uh, expert here. Like, I'm more of a new to him. Uh, I'm familiar with him, but I haven't seen uh, much of his work. But yeah, this, so this was originally going to be a play, but um, I think it was largely because of her performance. Uh, she was just like, I don't want to do this every single night. This is too emotionally taxing mm -hmm. uh, to put on stage in front of a group of people every single night. So you got to put it on the film uh, one and done and then obviously lives on longer. I could see that for sure. Like, because, uh, yeah. Can you imagine having to put yourself through that every night? Um, right, right. Man, holy crap. But yeah, so she's amazing. Um, and the film itself is... Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing because uh, some criticisms of it that I've read as well are that, you know, you spend too much time in conversations and things like that. But that's kind of what you get with the John Cassavetes thing. And you could kind of like, you know, right. yeah. roll the camera and just kind of let it go and let's see what plays out. And that's just a style. I mean, I was definitely getting a vibe. Um, I mean, two filmmakers who I'm sure they openly uh, are indebted to them, but uh, Joe Swanberg and Noah Baumbach, um, I was just definitely getting the vibe of their movies uh, watching this and uh, just in terms of like the the long conversations, the emotional uh, depth to the characters and, and just the free indie style filmmaking. It's like I, I, I saw, um, I mean, I've seen a bunch of Swanberg and Bombach films and, and looking back, I can see plenty of influence with the uh, Cassavetes uh, films, especially this one. So, Agreed. I mean, he was he was definitely the original indie filmmaker. I mean, he was doing self-financing, writing, editing, and directing his movies basically on his own in the 70s, like well before like the 90s boom of like everybody doing that. Uh, so I think even like on a, on a business model stance, it's like he's, uh, most filmmakers are indebted to him anyway, so. Can you imagine too, I mean, the guy was a, world-class drunk and um eventually yeah. killed him yeah um can you imagine being like that kind of a, a, a you know having that 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 kind of like a lifestyle i feel like he just like he rode himself into the ground and eventually and uh you know i don't i don't know the story but um yeah 
from what I um, understand is that he, he was an you know, alcoholic and he died of alcoholism. Um, so there was a, a Ebert a, quote that stuck with me. Um, our favorite uh, Roger Ebert, uh, the key to his work is to realize that it's always Rollins, not the male lead who is playing the Cassavetes role. And like hearing that kind of made the switch in my mind. It was like, yeah, you could assume that he'd be playing, the, uh, uh, he'd put himself in the male role uh, prototype, but like her kind of playing the more um, uh, stressed out versions of himself in his roles. And like, obviously with the heavy drinking in here, you can definitely see that then. Wow. Yeah, I had not ever heard that. That was a... So that was in his original review so that was like from well I, I guess he reviewed it like in the 80s what year was this 74 so gosh 70 i, I want to say later than that but yeah I, I don't know yeah uh but this was from his review from the 80s so it was obviously um well i've never seen uh love streams have you seen that one no from cassavetes no no okay. husbands is one of my favorite um husbands i've seen and I offer your recommendation, and I really like that. Yeah, I definitely need to see. I want to see Minnie and Moskowitz. Uh, I've seen Seymour. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seymour Cassell. Seymour Cassell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, I definitely got to get the a little bit older Cassell because I've definitely seen plenty of him like pop up in Anderson movies and right. Chinese films. So. Right. And then, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is also supposed to be another one that's supposed to be really good that I haven't checked out. Yeah, I actually haven't seen that one either. Yeah. So those are the ones that consistently come up as at least as most popular and kind of like most uh, well-regarded critically. So, but yeah. I could definitely get the vibe. I think uh, I saw that Rollins has like starred in like, or at least appeared in seven of his films. So it kind of, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued like from that viewpoint of like him projecting himself onto her character rather than the male lead and see what that plays so out. So interesting. The the yeah. That's so interesting to me because yeah, it makes so much sense now that I see that, that chaotic kind of mental, like frustrated um, character and, and yeah, the alcoholism, like they don't spend too much time on that, you know, but they definitely get the point across at the beginning when she <laughs> sits down at the bar next to that guy. I mean, it's the, that's a pretty crazy scene where this guy is just like, I'll right. take you home, you know, and, and yeah, she yeah. downs an entire, basically like a fifth of whatever that is, whiskey. Like seven. Yeah, like it's basically a, uh, like a Coke or something. And I was like, the, you know, what, like, what's going to happen in like 10 minutes from now, you know, and that's, it's what you, what you expect, you know, it's just like some jerk taking her home and taking advantage of her. Uh, of this woman who's who's obviously disturbed and, and and there's a lot of fucked up shit let's just say there's a lot of fucked up shit in this film i mean there really is no yeah no at the beginning so nick gets uh, basically stuck at work they're supposed to have a date night and uh so mabel ends up going out on her own and it was really those scenes uh like 20 minutes in when she's like walking by herself through the empty bars beautiful Which, too speak, isn't it speak, speaking of like tom waits we mentioned it's like super tom waits vibe of like yeah. harvest saturday night his like uh mid-70s stuff uh heavy tom waits vibe with those scenes um and then her just kind of bopping around and just kind of like checking out like who's sitting at the bar and like in a real like cool demeanor like uh and then she just slowly sits down next to him and like just her slight reactions to like his his kind of like uh, pretty upfront uh, uh, um, hitting on her 
um, it, it really was her reactions that I was like, wow, this is definitely one of the better performances I've seen in a long time. Totally. Yeah. And it's like um, kind of fearlessness, man, you know, like uh, you could see that that performance was pretty fearless because um, you have to really go to some dark places for it. And, you know, I don't know if you felt any relatability in that, but like there's moments where she's just not getting what she wants. Again, I think that they love each other in the film. I don't think that that's ever not felt, but it's the idea of the, of the, um, sorry, if you're hearing some bubbling, <laughs> sometimes my sink does that when somebody's taking a shower upstairs. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, it's either you either getting that or you're getting like a helicopter going by, you know? Um, but yeah, the, the love in this film is very true and it's very real. And I think that like that whole scene of her going out and getting drunk, well, sure, one, she has a, an issue with it, but two, she's she's sad. She's genuinely sad that she can't have her husband come home and spend some time with her. So she does go out and make some bad decisions. Um, but it's really born out of the fact that she's just upset. Yeah, I was reading something. So this would be, kind of, I don't know how like how much of a trilogy they consider it, but this would be like the middle film in the Cassavetes trilogy with, I think, Face It, uh, Minnie Moskowitz and then Faces as the last. Hmm. So like this is kind of the middle section of the trilogy where they all kind of explore relationships. And so this is in like the middle where it's like these people are married and they most likely still love each other. They're still in the midst of it and, and, and potentially could go like in a destructive way or not. And so this is kind of like in the shit of like a marriage that, uh, yeah, I definitely believe they love each other quite a bit, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, having three kids and drinking all the time, I would go crazy too, so. Yeah, but that's why I think that that, can you hear that or no? I can hear it just a little bit, not a big deal. Oh, okay, I got to <laughs> yeah. um, That's why I just think it's so interesting. Um, God, I lost my, lost my train of thought now. What the hell was I talking about? Oh, well, God darn it whether or not they love each other characters oh uh yeah but oh that's why I okay sorry everybody <laughs> a lot of <laughs> stuff going on in my uh my apartment today the scene at the end where the credits are rolling i think it's so important that people do stick around for the for the credits you never know what you're going to get and for me i uh, love seeing the moments that are sort of shielded like as soon as they move the table out and the curtains are drawn and we can't even as the viewer I mean this is filmed on purpose this way we're behind a door that's behind a curtain so you're not supposed to be seeing these moments that are in there and it's just them too and they're beautiful they this is the first time since she came back from the mental institution that you see her smile and it's after a very chaotic day because of course she's not really well yet but when it's just them too there's like, it's re it really was coming together. You could see that he was like rubbing her shoulders and they were yeah. like in love, like truly again, without any bullshit, you know? Yeah, and it goes back to, like I was saying before, he's like, he's constantly reassuring her that he loves her, um, which I, I believe is genuine. Um, but at the same time, it still kind of lacks that stability that you see uh, that you kind of need in a relationship, especially one when you're caring for three kids. Um, yeah, those scenes when she gets back, so she essentially has that long harrowing scene with the doctor um, when it's basically like an open interrogation with, with 
with, I guess that's Peter Falk's actual mother. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's actually Peter Falk's mother and Gina Rowland's mother at the beginning. So they have their own mothers playing. That's uh, very Cassavetti. He's like a lot yeah. of family or people are just pulling people off the streets, like pretty right, much right, not right. actors. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's the herring scene where they bring in a psychiatrist and he's basically like an open interrogation of like her mental state in front of everybody. And it's pretty tough to watch. And she gets committed to a mental institution shortly thereafter uh, and then cut to the six months later with the uh, welcome home party, which which again, just like, like him going back and forth and, and uh, not really being, uh, it certainly didn't feel like he was providing like a safe space for her at all. Like, I mean, they have like this huge party with like all these people uh, to greet her. Um, and I can't imagine that being <laughs> like anybody coming home from a mental I mean, institution wanting to be in that setting. I know, but like, how do you do that? You know, like that's why I almost feel like there's so much relatability or so much like realism. Cause like I didn't, I felt for him. Like, yeah, how do you do that? Your wife coming home from the mental institution. And it's already been set up that everybody at his work knows it's a, a kind of a, a kind of a friction point with him and like a lot of yeah, people at work. So sure. like people know, you know, so I don't like, I don't know if he was like doing that. It was a dumb move, I think, in general. That's, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to do it either, but right. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't invite 30 people over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. With a bunch of sandwiches hanging out there. So, uh, but yeah. It's kind of like, like having like sandwiches and stuff like that at funerals, in my opinion. Like, right, right, right. Who the fuck wants to eat right now? You know, like, but yeah, always, yeah. there's always some asshole like down there stuffing his face, you know, while like you're at a funeral. Huh? It's a good, good way to busy yourself when you don't want to confront any uncomfortable feelings. Okay, okay, okay. You're always the voice of reason, Pat, <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, they, I felt for the kids on those scenes when she was uh, returning. Uh, they kind of had this really kind of confused uh, sense uh, when she's uh, trying to talk to them, see how they're doing. And they're just, I mean, very blunt like kids are. Uh, for better or worse, uh, but you can tell that they were feeling a little unease at that time, which fully understandable. You probably haven't. Yeah, they just parent, keep on wanting to come back to their mom. You know, they just yeah, want to yeah. keep on hugging her, and and she's kind of off in La La Land. You know, and and then they have to like witness Peter Falk. He said he warns her a couple times, not saying it's right. But he says, I don't want to have to do that. Don't make me come up there and knock you down. But she's obviously he doesn't know what to do. He's frustrated, and so he knocks her down. Right. I mean, it's shocking. And the kids see it. The kids are there. They're present. And then they have to play this game like mommy's sleeping. You know, she's just resting. It's like, no, you just fucking hit her, you know, and yeah, yeah. knocked her knocked her down. And, and then he's trying to, like, make them trust him to, like, come over here, you know. And, like, it's like, dude, you just, just hit our mom. Like, that's, oh, man, that's a happy scene. Yeah, no, and like maybe we could shift to like Peter Falk a little bit more and his character Nick, but like like I was saying at the beginning, like he's definitely presented at the beginning as like uh, the rational, uh, stable one of the two. Uh, you know, they opened with that uh, him working um, uh, as like a leader of a, a, a mining chef, basically, and then cut into like that uh, chill uh sundown bar where they're just having a couple drinks and he's like basically working as like the union delegate saying he doesn't want to uh, make their guys work overtime he's got to get home to his family and whatnot and then as the movie progresses i mean you get to the scenes when he like basically takes his kids out of school like using the city truck and like then feeding them beer on the way home 
I figured we'd talk about this at some point. Yeah, it's a pretty I amazing. Mean, that's moment. like it comes about halfway through. I'm like, you know, and, and at the same time, it's almost still being filmed in a way. It's like, yeah, this is normal. He's just trying to get these kids to, to have some fun. He's totally. like taking them out of school. He's just yelling at them, like, go have fun. Go have fun. You almost feel like that's the only time that these kids can get a little bit of like um, connection with their father when he's in the back and he's like giving them beer. You know, right. I totally felt the same way you did about that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty funny. But at the same time, it's like this is uh, a person who's certainly not taking care of his kids any more than his wife is able to. Uh, but then, yeah, you said it even devolves even further, like the uh, multiple times he's he smacks uh, Mabel and it's pretty tough to watch. And and yet it is kind of still filmed in a way where it's like you're not like really hating the character or whatnot. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, agreed. I mean, I don't think you kind of hate anybody in this film. That's like the interesting thing about the performances. Um, you do feel like whatever shortcomings Peter Falk's character has, it's like coming from like that love. Like you still feel like right. it's coming from that love the whole time. And even the giving the kids the beer, like I said, it just felt like very like, this is okay. Like this is a father like bonding with his kids, even though, you know, just a little bit now he says to him, well, just a little bit, you know, and these kids, all three of them are drinking his beer. Like, you know, it's insane. And um, I love uh, it probably yeah. doesn't sound good on paper, though, as we're talking about it and, and for people who haven't seen it and we're just talking about how he's giving his kids alcohol and then beating his wife. It probably doesn't sound. Uh, no, that great, but uh, yeah, we're not condoning any of that. I guess the yeah. thing is that just to say it's the tone that is set by these actors um, and how well they play their parts like Peter Falk. I've always known him as um, Columbo growing up. My dad was a huge Columbo mm -hmm. fan. Yeah you know and so uh like probably is my dad's favorite show and mm -hmm. as i got older then i started to see him in like you know the uh swingers right and like he started like kind of have a, like a bit of a resurgence in movies and i had no clue about this whole era and of course this is his best era like he's killed he, he's done a lot of films with cassavetes too um peter falk great actor um it's a it's a shame gina Rowland's passed away i think two years ago and peter mm -hmm. falk now has been gone i think uh, probably 10 years or so but um great actors remembered for their performances for sure uh the spaghetti scene i love the spaghetti scene breakfast spaghetti with um the entire co-workers just showing up uh, in the morning and he yeah. misses he misses the, so she stays with the guy the guy stays over the, the one she brought home the night before and then he leaves and then like 10 minutes later uh nick shows up with like 15 of his co-workers it's like that could have been a potential disaster if they ran into each other but at the same time you don't know like how often it is maybe that's something that actually has happened before who knows right yeah you kind of don't know you, I, yeah in a way it's just like a series of fucked up shit like i said like and also knowing that like at some point everything's going to come to a head like because right off the bat you get this like guy staying over and she's drunk at a bar and you're like okay like like this is probably like the worst shit that could happen so like what comes next it's like it can't be good and then yeah it's a dinner party it's a um everybody from his work coming over and even though he's kind of like telling people like yeah she's a little nuts my wife's a little nuts but everyone kind of likes her you know and it's actually again kind of a heartwarming scene they're all breaking bread and she wants to know everybody's name and you know she it seems like she wants she is the type who wants to do this more often to have people over to play um 
the role of like, I guess what, you know, a traditional housewife would be back then. And so she's enjoying the company. And I guess like at some point, Nick gets a little jealous or something because he's, she starts to dance around and he kind of tells her to stop. And he's always doing the, the point, the finger thing, you know, that's like, like the shit, you know, we are in trouble or whatever. Definitely old and, school. Uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't fly in relationships anymore. I don't think so. I mean, the pointing the finger thing doesn't fly in, at all like yeah. ever anymore like you 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 anytime you point a finger it's a pretty disrespectful move i think yeah no i mean that whole scene is uh, kind of a master class in tone management in terms of like uh what she's so she's preparing the food for uh, uh nick and his co-workers and everybody is like uh obviously uh, a big fan of her and they, they're getting along but she keeps on kind of making people feel a little uncomfortable i mean she she starts asking people to sing she's singing and then like pushing uh some of his uh, co-workers to start singing as well and that's when nick starts getting you can see i mean you can see he's like he's uh a little embarrassed um and that obviously comes later when it's it's when she does get committed and everybody knows about it he does there is some embarrassment to it um there was a line that she had later um Mabel says, you got embarrassed and made a jerk of yourself. I make a jerk of myself every day. And like that, that, that resonated with me. It's like so much is like, she's basically used to it, but he's not at least on his conscious level. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah this film is, um, um, stood the test of time. It's, uh, like any of those films out there where they're, it's tough to watch, but it's also kind of like great to see the human condition and how people, interact with each other uh, in, in, for any other reason, a forewarning tale of how to not be. Um, it's, a, it's just really an interesting film in the history of, of, of movies, you know, like it, it's not it's not something like my mom would have walked out of this film. Like, you know, like, like when I remember when my mom <laughs> yeah, yeah. saw Magnolia, she, she's like, I, she walked out. She's like, I couldn't take it. You Ooh. know? Yeah, I know. And I was like, mom, it was like one of the best movies of all time. And she's like, I just couldn't take it. You know, I'll never forget her saying that. Um, yeah. Because that, that heavy shit isn't for everybody. You know what I mean? It's like, people don't really want to be faced with it all the time. And I don't blame people, you know, like if you do, if you, if you surround yourself too much with it, it could really bring you down. Like I was saying earlier, kind of depress you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's what I'm attracted to most. I watch the most fucked up shit in relationships on camera. That's what give me give me as crazy as possible. So yeah, again, but then you'll watch RoboCop right after. So then your mood completely switches up, and you're you know in a different zone. For me, I stick into that like drama <laughs> all the time. <laughs> uh, speaking of RoboCop, is uh, playing at midnight at Music Box tonight and tomorrow. Uh, so you're July. gonna be there, of course. I will probably be seeing RoboCop at some point at midnight tonight at the music box, the famed music box, uh, a treasure in Chicago here. So one of the and best places uh, on earth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, their programming is fantastic, which is again, why they're just like, Hey, we're going to play RoboCop. Actually, I think it's part of their uh, stop motion um, uh, set series right now. So I think that's a big part of it, but um, they played yeah. Evil Dead. They're doing a great job some... with that. I agree. I see the the movies that are playing all the time, as I'm sure you see the new Beverly stuff, and you're just like, we're probably yeah. both got. Um, we're, I mean, we're just jealous of each other's theaters. Yeah, the exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, forward. so I know you know there's a lot to say about this film. Of course, I think we've covered most of it. Um, is there any other final thoughts that you had on um, a woman under the influence? 
no, man, I loved it. Like I said, this was this was your movie, and I was very excited to watch it. Um, super happy I did. And again, like my main takeaway is just like how, uh, like uh, overarching, like a uh, uh, um, influence that Cassavetti's had on like modern indie filmmakers. As I mentioned, like Noah Baumbach and the show Swanbergs. It's like if you're a fan of of their films and um, any of their films, I would highly recommend checking this film out and then probably doing a little bit more of a deep dive into Cassavetti's filmography because it's it's written all over those current films. You can see it. Yeah, I doubt that you'd ever run into any filmmaker working today and saying not not saying that they're influenced by Cassavetes. Um, he definitely left his imprint and um, a lot of great films, which are mostly available on Criterion, which Criterion's programming, by the way, is just like stepped up a notch again this month. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if you noticed, but like the In the Ring ser- series mm. um, with Elaine Delone, uh, De- Delone is in one of the films. Uh, in oh, that oh, yeah. series. So um, I wanted to check that out, but obviously Raging Bulls in there, which is a favorite of both of ours, I know. Um, and then, oh, what was I gonna say? Uh, I saw so one last, uh, comment before we sign off uh i saw martin scorsese post yesterday uh about a new documentary on hbo um max that has to do with paul newman and joanne woodward and Mm. i could not be more stoked to see it (laughs) i mean i don't know what he what scorsese's uh role was in that but there's always that quote from paul newman why go out for hamburger when I have steak at home? And it was um, what he was referencing was his wife, Joanne Woodward, who they had a relationship <laughs> with and were married for, you know, uh, to each other and didn't um, get divorced from each other for their whole life and career. And uh, I love their story. I've always have. I love new, I buy Newman's pizzas and, you know, lemonade strictly because it's paul newman i don't even care if it tastes good i just like literally buy it because paul newman's on it because i love paul newman i got some newman dressing so yeah there you go so you know and i'm sure you were like yeah paul newman i'm gonna get that you know i love paul newman um so yes uh that's something that i'd like to uh watch and then if by the next time that we do our uh remainders episode we can discuss a little bit of what we thought of that that documentary yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, probably uh, revisit. Is it already released? I think it said it's on HBO Max now. So again, I'll have to borrow my girlfriend's um, HBO Max subscription to watch it. But you know, I think she'll let me. Oh yeah, Love <laughs> yeah. We can hey, give some and, thoughts. On yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off too. Did, did you have anything else to say about the film? Or I, 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 I would tell everybody to go see it. In my opinion, just I loved it. Um, thanks thank you for watching it and wanting to discuss it because i think it's an important film and um, one that i do love but next week is uh your pick isn't it uh yeah going back to me i got uh, thunder road uh jim cummings uh, first uh, film uh huge fan of his stuff uh, ever since he started making films not that long ago and uh, very excited to talk about this one uh it's definitely a good character study that uh again talk about tone management this one captures it uh uh, very well in terms of uh, the drama and the uh, comedic aspects of life and his his performance is fantastic so I'm pretty excited uh, to hear your thoughts on it and Can't I was wait. a little I disappointed 
yeah, I was a little disappointed. He had an event where, um, not too far from you actually, where he screened all three of his films and did like a and a It was like a film marathon basically for the day uh, where he did a Q&A before and after each screening. So definitely would have checked that out uh, if I was... Uh, well, you know, Werner Herzog was literally right down. Well, Werner Herzog was right down the street at the Los Feliz Three, where I saw Elvis um, oh, a couple of days oh, ago, and I and right. I literally missed it and didn't go. Dude, this kicks ass living out here sometimes. Like that, like I could have like walked down the street and talked yeah. to like Werner Herzog. Like they had pictures of him in the theater, and I was like, God damn. And then um, that house that's in this film, that's in Woman Under the Influence, is literally mm. a seven minute walk down the street for me. I could go there and see the house. Yeah. Um, I just realized the other day that the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation House is like on my walk uh, as well. I thought that was in Chicago, but apparently it's here in Los Feliz. And then yeah. um, I saw the apartment from Double Indemnity. I had no clue was right down the street. So I had uh, my girlfriend drive me by so I could take the picture. Like, you know, I'm crazy about that stuff. I love it. I love the Hollywood <laughs> stuff. So I've been like every day kind of you experience something new. And even like when I saw this film, A Woman Under the Influence, I was like, this is L.A., it's got to be somewhere near me. And of course, I look up the, the house and it's right here in Hollywood. It's like awesome. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, we got to get uh, in the future. We do have some programming coming up that's going to be a little bit more Chicago centric because uh, uh, I'm getting tired of uh, Darren's uh, <laughs> dismissal of Chicago for the amazing parts of L.A., which they are there. But Chicago has got the, the vibe and film that I, I think uh, has a lot of potential. And I was thinking about Thief, actually. So that's one that we may want to talk about. Actually, James Kahn just passed away. So that would be right. good time to talk about that. Um, classic, classic Chicago setting for a film. So, Man, I feel like I could talk to you all day. And I'm sure all the audience is like, okay, when are you guys going to sign off? But I just got to say, <laughs> best James Kahn uh, performance. You can, you can tell me, but mine, Bottle Rocket. I fucking love him in Bottle Rocket. Wes Anderson's first. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I have not seen Bottle Rocket probably since it first came out, and I okay. honestly I need to. 1996. I mean, I, yeah, I mean that's uh, I love Wes Anderson. I've revisited many of his films many of times. Uh, I mean, especially Rushmore, but uh, I have not watched Bottle Rocket since it first came out. So um, thank you. That's that reminds me. I probably should rewatch that soon. Yes, you should. It's definitely one of those films where like it's just such a different. It's such a different film and it's not like all of the films he's made after that, you know, yeah. I think Rushmore was yeah. in right after that. Um, and the, and the, the humor is really at now what everybody's come to love of um, Wes Anderson, but it was like still kind of getting there, but it was just like so off the wall and bizarre. And I loved it immediately. But uh, the, the, the song, the scissor song future man came from there. Uh, we were like classic. Yeah, that an band, absolute classic scissor song. That, and that band, we, we, we talk about that movie all the time because our drummer was obsessed with it. Um, but James Kahn in that is so good. Uh, I, everything is all good about that. Another great podcast that I listened to talked about the making of that film um, mm. because Peter Bogdanovich's ex-wife, Polly Platt, um, was responsible for getting that film made and was kind of the person who got Wes Anderson basically um, to be able to be Wes Anderson and, and get to make movies. And that was, it was covered pretty heavily in Karina Longworth, which is um, 
you must remember this podcast. I love it. I haven't really kept up with the last couple seasons because I've been busy, but uh, I'm sure anybody who listens to this has been listening to that because it's another film podcast. Anyway, the one on Polly Platt, the season on that is brilliant and amazing. And there's a lot about Bottle Rocket in there. So anyway, I went on another tangent. I apologize. I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely remember the uh, Future Man reference in uh, the Scissors song. I was, I just had um, Scissors, uh, MIA came up on my playlist when I was uh, out the other day and awesome. uh, reminded me like how great that fucking song was. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. yeah you know, great. sometimes I forget about those things because like I just moved on so much and like doing TLB and everything. Um, I rarely kind of go back to them. And uh, one day I just kind of want to like, I want to listen to the records again. You know, it's been a while. And, um, yeah, I, I love that band. I It's crazy to think that we. I, the last time I did anything with that was 2019. It's already, I felt like it was yesterday, but now it's already, you know, a while oh, ago. That was right before time stopped for everybody. So exactly. Like, uh, but yeah, Hardy, I think everyone should definitely watch uh, Woman on the Influence. Uh, maybe listen to MIA by the Scissors as well uh, for a nice little pairing. And uh, yeah, thank you for picking this one again. Like I'm always, I'm never disappointed with your recommendations. And uh, so that's why I'm always uh, excited when you pick one that I haven't seen them all the way through. Thank you very much, Pat. Yeah, same. And, uh, you know, at one day we're going to, we're going to talk about Bone Tomahawk, which is when you turned me on to that, like, I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I saw it. Uh, that would be a good one to throw on the list um, that you got the good recommend- recommendations too. <laughs> don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. Oh, I definitely wasn't. So, <laughs> by the way, is that one of those? Um, I forget what they call the brand. Oh, this is uh, this is a non-alcoholic beer, actually. Yeah, I know. What's uh, that brand? Athletic Brewing. I love those. My yeah. brother uh, introduced are, me to those. Yeah, yeah those are. I'm great. a big big fan of uh, uh, the NA beer of this one uh, right now. So, I've been drinking I've been the, uh, this entire podcast. Heineken zeros are actually better than the regular Heinekens. Uh, my girlfriend and I get those every <laughs> nice. once in a while on the weekend when we want a beer, but we don't want to have like you know alcohol. Um, yeah, those like, are pretty popular. I definitely see those uh, like on like restaurant lists consistently. The Heineken. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. there's a lot there's a lot in um la i was kind of surprised like a lot of na um but i guess it's kind of pop, <clears throat> popping up everywhere i heard the younger generation doesn't really drink as much as like our generation it's definitely declined from our generation steep decline from the 70s Casavetti's generation <laughs> yeah. um but yeah yeah alcohol generally is definitely gone a little bit down um so yeah is what it is well anyway awesome to talk to you again thank you everybody for listening remainderspod.com at remainderspod everywhere on the socials and at conscious book rex for pat and you can hear all the great book recommendations he's got and then just at darren burrell for me if you feel like following us along we'd love to say hello we'd love to talk movies so just uh find us and we'll see you back here next time thanks again for listening Yeah, good talking to you, bud. You too. See you next time. See ya.